What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. We're back here at Coast to Coast, and we got a championship we got to talk about real quick. Ronan, how about that game last night? We had UNC up, I think they, what, they tied one of the biggest leads that they've seen in NCAA history and the fateful words of, I forget even who the broadcaster was, fateful words. This would be one of the greatest comebacks if it happened. And Kansas pulling off one of the craziest comebacks I've ever seen in my life, man. I just, what, what did, did you expect that, man? That was crazy. That was a crazy game. Oh, it was, it was insanity. I guess it, it's just a testament to how, how much of a team game basketball really is. It's not like Kansas where the team full of stars that are going to be multiple like lottery picks or anything like that. It's just a really well coached team and a really motivated group of players that wanted just wanted it that bit more in the second half. They were down and out at halftime, and then and they were able to to regroup and come back together. And then it's just unbelievable for them to, to make that comeback. Yeah, dude, it felt like such a like a boxing match. Like the way that Kansas came out, they hit that first three, those first eleven points. It just felt like a punch in the mouth to UNC. But it felt like UNC was just the better better team in the first half. Just their defense, their grit, they're just completely walling off the paint not letting Kansas score. And then the, the way that Kansas responded in that second half, Remy Martin, I mean, that, that guy, I'm going to remember that performance for a while, just the way he was dragging that team through different stretches of no scoring and his defense. This, that was one of the most special games I've ever seen. And that was coming right off the heels of watching UNC take down coach K in his last game against Duke, which is another absolute thriller, just awesome weekend for uh, the NCAA and a great way to kick off um, our amateur attempt here at scouting some of the best players in this incoming draft. So just full disclaimer, I think scouting is actually, you get such a good appreciation for how hard it is to evaluate talent um, at, at, at this level, whatever level we're at here. But it's, you know, as fans, you have so much fun watching uh, young players compete at the NCAA level, but there's so many reasons why it's difficult to actually project out where they're going to be. You know, it's, there's the lack of sample size, the difference of style between different um, teams, NCAA versus the NBA. Spacing's different. The tactics are different. Um, but you just try to have to pull out what you really believe in those players, what you believe that they can bring to the NBA and maybe what they won't be able to bring based on what they've seen. So we're, we've done our best. We've done a pretty darn good effort here at trying to figure that out. And we're going to talk about the top 10 players. And we might have different tiers. You might have different rankings. And we're going to see where we go with this. And I think more importantly for Coast to Coast listeners is thinking about where these players might slot in best according to teams. Um, you never know where p- teams are going to land in the pecking order after the lottery ends, but it'll be interesting to see after this conversation, maybe where some of these teams end up looking for talent or what kind of talent they look for. So Ronan, I'll let you take it away. Who's at the very top of your draft board? We're talking tier one, no brainer, or is there not a no brainer? How do you feel about this uh, top crop of the lottery? I think tier one, it's absolutely there. There is no, no brainer really. I think it is all about fit in this situation. I don't think there's a clear number one like we see a lot of years, like when you you, you got a, a guy like Zion or something like that. We have not got that. 
uh, this year. I think the the main guy on everyone's lips, it's got got to still got to be Chet Holmgren, but I still I don't think that he's an absolute cert to be the number one pick, but he's certainly certainly a a one tier uh, prospect. Yeah, it's a it definitely depends. I hundred percent agree with you there. There isn't like that Zion level talent. Um, you would say a Luca level talent, but uh, he didn't even get picked first. Um, but I feel like it'll it'll come down to what team comes down to the first pick. And Chet, for example, I, there's a few different teams who would pick him first. I mean, if OKC gets up there, they pick him first. Detroit Pistons, they pick him first. Rockets, Magic, I'm not so sure. Mm. Um, but when you look at just those top four teams that have the, the highest chance, who do you think really is going to benefit the most from a guy like him and why? I think Houston could be a good a good spot for him. I think one thing that they that he didn't have in Gonzaga was a lot of kind of free space to mm-hmm. dominate on offense, and that's something that he needs because he's a, this guy is a great passer, he's a great creator, but he never really had the the space on the floor to be able to do that with Timmy kind of as a as a traditional big playing uh, playing in Gonzaga, and I think. He would allow Green to just be a, be able to be a scorer. That he would take a lot of the pressure off of Green to be assisting as well as he is uh, doing the the biggest scoring for Houston. I think that that could be big. A lot of the a lot of the plays could go to Chet Holmgren, and that would be that'll be big. And I think that would be I think that's really a good fit for him there out there in Houston. Young team as well, no pressure early. Yeah, you have to develop. That's big. Yeah, I, I think I love that you mentioned the passing because as I was looking at his tape, that was one of the more impressive things because everyone knows about the rim protection. Um, and it's funny, as we get deeper into this conversation, I think there's so many good rim protectors in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, his, in addition to that elite rim protection, in addition to that floor spacing, those two things that we see, I mean, the playmaking is really, really interesting. He doesn't have the best handle in the world, but he does have a tight handle. He can pass from the post. He can pass off the dribble. He can pass running a fast break. The amount of times that you, you've seen him get a block on one end and take the ball and run with it to the other, it's so impressive. I mean, he really commands a good control of the ball. Now, he's not going to be operating on the perimeter or anything with his handles. I mean, he's still got a pretty high handle. He doesn't get too low to the ground. And... It, maybe we'll get into his uh, weaknesses here in a second, but that passing would be f- so fascinating. I picked Houston as well because, eh, man, you got him and you got Shingun, mm-hmm. who, again, we've said it so many times in this podcast now. If you don't know about Alperin Shingun, just YouTube is passive. Like, look at the passes he he tries to do out there. He plays like Jokic, and that's not that's not a exaggeration when it comes to his passing. Shangun has really uncanny IQ when it comes to knowing where the cuts are going to come from, knowing where the third read is, knowing where to find his shooters. And he is going to add to, if, if Chet Holgram goes to Houston, you have two real playmakers in the front court. That's going to allow two elite, elite guards. I, I still believe in Kevin Porter Jr. I, you mentioned Jalen Green. I, 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 I believe in Kevin Porter Jr. I think both those guys will be able to benefit from that and the defense too. Yeah. <laughs> 
I can't say enough. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know how to explain some of the plays he has. Cause for a guy who's so small, so scrawny, the way he can just elevate and the way he can track a ball midair. I mean, there's sometimes where he jumps early and the guards is going to try to get around him midair. And he just like little switch hands and block it with his opposite hand. It is just crazy. But, um, but that, that's my question for him. What's, what's your biggest question for him? Because I see his body and I know everyone's mentioned it. It's been a question over and over again, but I can't help but wonder how he's going to fit in physically in the NBA, similar to guys like Chris Stapps. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of them. There's a reason there's not a lot of them. He's, this guy is incredibly skilled, incredibly talented, but what position do you put him at? to use the, that, those defensive talents. That's, that's a tough one. Yeah, that, that's, that's going to be the interesting one. Obviously kind of the, the, the strength and, and filling out is it, are the main weaknesses for, for, for Holmgren. I think uh, you could maybe argue kind of the determination to dominate and determination to be, be the guy could, could come and impact him uh, out, down, down the line a bit in his NBA career, but the strength and just the, the, the build that he's at at the moment We've seen it with Porzingis, and we were always kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. And just before he did his ACL, we were kind of thinking, okay, maybe he's actually finally, he's finally really getting adjusted to this NBA. And then since then, it's just been been an, a real big disaster. So I think this the filling out is it's it's the big one. It's the body. It's the the trainer. They they have to have a plan to get him physically capable of being a consistent and legit stopper in this league because at the moment he's not at that level and if he tries to compete the way he wants to at the the way his build is at the moment he's going to get injured and it's going to slow down his development yeah and the and physically like you play him at the four right and he's going to be an awesome be an awesome health defender uh in the paint but with the NBA today, you know, he's, he's really good. I think when you look at his scouting report and you watch the tape, he has really snappy hips. Like he does do a good job of recovering, but he does have really slow foot speed. So the NBA in the small ball, if you play him at the four, I mean, he's going to get exposed at the perimeter. And do you want, do you want his greatest strength, which is weak side help? Do, do you want him to be constantly just turning around and chasing down wings as they get into the paint? Like that's, that's going to be a tough position for him in games where, you know, they're going to challenge him with smaller players, faster players and see how that works out. So does, is his natural position then to, at the five, because he's not going to be able to survive with, like you said, with his size at the five. So I think it, it is good. when you look at teams like Houston in particular, that has a skilled five for the future. And they have Christian Wood there as well. Um, so you need skilled guys next to him to, to kind of help him out. But that that is always going to be a question mark. And teams are going to have to get it right. You know, that this is a <laughs> this is a question that, you know, it's, we can ruminate about here on our little podcast. But it's, it is a tough question in terms of a GM and a coach to get together and be like, hey, this is a really talented guy. But how do we actually deploy him effectively on an NBA court where he's going to guys are going to go after him? Um, but I had him up there, too. I, I had him as my tier one prospect I think maybe not my no-brainer but my most interesting one because he's just the most interesting player in this draft because of those big questions and because of that that big ceiling uh 
how far do you think he goes? If if he if he puts everything together, how good is he in the NBA? Is he like a multi oh, multi time All Star, or is he yeah. kind of a couple time All Star? He's multi multi time. He is everything that we hoped and thought Kristaps Porzingis was going to be. I think when when Chris Hasfingers came into the league and he donned the name of the unicorn and everyone just looking at him thinking, well, this guy is going to be legit. People are not going to be able to handle this guy. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out that way. Now he's, he's got another new new start now in Washington. We'll see how that goes. But if Holmgren can develop his body, it, it, could, it, it's, it's a, it could be amazing what he could do in the NBA. Yeah. The, the injury thing that that's gonna be a tough one man um mm. we'll move on to the next player but i i just can't i can't help but think when you whenever we mention kp and we look back i mean before chris Apps got injured i mean he was really like mm-hmm. it, it felt like he was really about to maybe push his way into the top 20 top 15 of the nba that, that's what it felt like um we'll see we'll, we'll see what what happens i think the the biggest misconception about uh Holmgren, though I'll end on that is is the offensive potential. I think I'm most intrigued by his defensive potential. If he can if he can prove that he can switch, if he can switch out onto onto wings and he can use his recovery speed and his IQ to stay out there defensively, I think he'll be a multi multi time um, all defensive team. If he'll be, I mean, he's got the talent to get there earlier than most guys at his age. That's that's an award that most people get later on in their career, but he's got the talent to do it pretty early. Offensively, though, I, I think where a lot of people are comparing him to like Kevin Durant and stuff with his length and his shooting, but I don't think that he's got the, he's got that it factor when it comes to shooting. He doesn't look for a shot. And I think that's why we saw his, his passing. He's, he's got, he's got great passing vision, but he's not, he doesn't naturally get his shot off the dribble. He's very much uh, limited to kind of a spot up shooter in terms of uh, the offensive end. Um, he's not super vertical in terms of being like a, a lob threat. I mean, he's going to do it, but he's not going to roll hard to the rim like that. That's not his main game. So I think people, if you, if you look at him from the lens of a defensive talent first and everything second, then I, I think people will be very, very surprised at, at how good he's going to be on that end. Um, Who's our second guy? I think I think Bancaro. I think Bancaro is okay. Is, is is the second guy for me? Okay. I, I I really like what I saw from him. Obviously, he was the lead guy for this Duke team. As much as this Duke team had had a lot of talented players in their lineup, he was always the go to guy. He's the the go to offensive player for them, a scorer, and he's got a body that is NBA ready, and he's yeah. only nineteen. He's got size and he's he's a real exciting prospect for me. You you love players like this because you look at them and they look like just powerful, power forwards. Like he's 6'10. He's really got that strong build, like you said. He plays with a lot of strength. It's back to the basket too. But he was 6'1 in high school. And it shows like he was he was a true guard in high school. And I think that that's what makes this interesting. He feels like he feels like kind of a blank slate for me because he's got a lot of talent across the board. He's got a lot of skills across the board in his shooting, his ability to shoot off the dribble, his ability to spot up and shoot, his ability to play off the ball. And he does everything pretty well. 
And I, I think on a Duke team where there's potentially four first round picks, hmm. you know, he had to share the ball a lot. And it's not, it wasn't his show at all times. So he's not going to be having the crazy pumped up numbers that maybe he would have if they weren't so loaded at that in this year. But I, I think you look at his skills, and this is what exciting about a player like that is that he's got, he doesn't have a lot of holes. And you want to have, stars that have less questions than and more more answers than questions and that's kind of where I you know I kind of oscillated between him and um Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren because I'm like dude it, it seems like Ben Carroll has like no I, I can't really argue anything against him except for like defensive effort which you know that that's a that's a tough intangible and that it's tough to kind of uh scout that out on your couch just watching games and you know reading reports about him so you can only assume so much and that's definitely concern that that scouts have had about him um but it seems like there aren't a lot of you have to be nitpicky to to not like some of the things about him yeah yeah and where where do you think will be the 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 best fit for him thinking he's probably going to go top three it's probably again orlando houston or detroit maybe okay see if they go in there who who are you who are you thinking it will be will be the best team for for a guy like Bancaro? I think I love I love the magic taking him. Yeah, because two things: one, I think they're still figuring out their offensive identity, and they don't have that go to guy. And I think that Bancaro needs he needs the pressure to become a number one guy, hmm. and I think he'll have that opportunity in Orlando. They, they don't have anyone who stepped up to be there. They have a lot of guys who've proven, Hey, we can be good role players, good supporting cast. And in the front court, I mean, he, I think he'd work great with, with guys like Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter Jr. Who was going to make up for his defensive shortcomings. And if they have, if the mad teams like the magic who have the defensive structure to fit him into so, you know, it's not going to be glaringly obvious that he's letting guys blow by him if Wendell Carter's there to clean things up, Mo Bamba's mm-hmm. there to clean things up. And who knows if Jonathan Isaac even comes back. You know, if, if anyone's thinking, oh, well, you don't want to draft a, you know, a Wayne creator because, you know, Jonathan, I, dude, he hasn't played in, what, two years now? Yeah. And, and if that, I, I still think those two guys can play together. But he would have the chance to be <laughs> – I hate making comparisons like this because, you know, they're not – they're nonsensical, but it's funny to to see him play. And I think, man, he looks a lot like Tobias Harris, but in a good way, like good Tobias Harris in terms of like with his size and his dribbling ability and his ability to score off, off the dribble. And maybe he's like a supercharged Tobias Harris that <laughs> that that they wish they had. But I, I like his fit there. Yeah, I think I, I absolutely agree. That's why I think if Orlando end up with the number one pick, I think it's very likely that Bancaro is the number one pick and he goes to Orlando. And I think he will be a great fit there. I, I like what you're saying about the the pressure that it would put on him to become this go-to offensive guy. I think that's something that he needs. And it's it's an identity that he'll want to develop quickly as well, kind of in order to almost make up a bit for, for the defensive shortcomings. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure it's an area that he'll get better at. He's still only 19. He'll be – it will be demanded of him. If you want to be a star in the NBA, you gotta you got to at least show commitment on the defensive end. It's We've seen – with Luka Doncic this year, he's actually being asked to be to do some defending, not just let him do whatever he wants on the offensive end, and and, and it's working for him. And that's something that will need to happen with a guy like uh, Pella Bancaro too. But 
yeah, I, I'm liking the feel in, in Orlando too. And I, I like how, how he could instantly fit in there and, and become, become their main scorer. Now, if, if you have that choice, and I, I think this, this leads into the next guy, um, Jabari Smith. I, if you're the magic and you can pick between the two, like who are you taking? Because two different guys, Paul, Paulo Bancaro, you're expecting, I think you're expecting more of him to be on the ball a lot more. Yeah. Maybe not a lead ball handler, maybe one day, but, but you want him to be leading a lot of your offense. Jabari Smith, a little, a little bit more, you're expecting him to be off the ball a lot, more spot-up shooter. And this guy, he, he makes difficult shots, and he's, just, he's a lights-out spot-up shooter, arguably the best spot-up shooter in NCAA basketball. And he's 6'10". And he plays defense. Like he's he's a legit, like you want to talk unicorns at six ten. Like he's he's a legit type of unicorn guy because he's going to switch out onto guards. He's going to switch onto bigs in the post. He's going to help. Like he does everything defensively. He does it with a lot of energy. So two two different guys in those strokes, and that that is a tough decision between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, that'll be it'll be a real it'll be a tough call. I mean, they're both both only young. Uh, Bankero nineteen, Jabari Smith only eighteen, and oh man, the talent is there. I think the only reason I I, I would make that call is just because I'd like I'd love to see Jabari Smith playing with Cade Cunningham. That's just <laughs> yeah. That I, 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 yeah. I would make that. But it, in terms of if Orlando were the and the and the one slot, that'd be that'd be a real tough call for them. That would take a lot of really good scouting to to make a. To make that call between the two of them, but yeah, Jabari Smith is, could definitely be the guy who comes out, and we're looking back at this draft class, maybe even five years, and we're thinking this guy is by far the best scorer we we found in this in this draft class. He's got he's got a little bit of everything. He's got great body control, great athleticism. Obviously, you mentioned the defensive versatility. You just know that he needs to play with good guards, good facilitators because that's where his game lacks a bit in his shot creation his kind of passing and facilitating isn't great and sometimes his decision making but obviously that will come, he's, he's only an 18 year old kid, but I think you see this guy play with an elite playmaker, I think that's what was talked about all year with him, he was playing with a couple of the worst guards apparently in, in yeah he possibly could have so I'm really I'm really excited now to see if he gets drafted by a team, especially like Detroit. He's playing with a guy like Cade Cunningham and Hayes. If Hayes develops, he's always meant to be a pass first sort of player too. It could be it could really be something there in Detroit. That that's that's an interesting thing because when you when you think of these two different teams, you're gonna think about okay, who's gonna who's gonna be maximized here based on our current roster, especially young guys who we're trying to grow with and when you think about Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, um, Markel Fultz, I mean, they're, they're scoring guards first. Mm. They're not pass first guards. I mean, those guys want to get their bucket. They're, they're not bad playmakers, but that's not their first thought. And every, like, that's just the most consistent thing you see across the board in terms of scouting is that Jabari Smith was just completely uh, disserviced by his playmaking guards in the backcourt. So if, if that's a concern, is you, exactly, you want to have, if you're the team drafting him, you want to have a backcourt that's willing to work with him, that's willing to develop him. And Cade Cunningham, Killian Hayes, I mean, that's that's perfect right there. Killian Hayes, I mean, man, I can't wait. I can't wait for him to develop if he ever does. I mean, yeah. I, I literally can't wait because we've been waiting for, for a little bit now. 
I mean, his, his passing has been good. His defense has been great and to scoring. So, and I think this, this perfect example, when you look at, when you look past a couple of years back, you look at some of these guys like Killian Hayes and you got to ask yourself when, like, as we're looking some of, at some of these players here, their question marks about a lot of different things. And you can't just assume that people are going to develop like, so guys like Killian Hayes, can he score? <laughs> we never know if that's ever going to even come guys like Jabari Smith, though. I, I think you have enough confidence in the things he does show, which is the shooting, which is the effort, 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 effort. That's huge to see a guy of his talent, especially on the offensive end, have so much effort on the defensive end and do it with a lot of intelligence and a guy at his size move like he does off the ball. That's there's a lot of potential there, a lot of potential there. And when you talk about like Kevin Durant style shooting, I, I think more of that for Jabari Smith than I do for Chet Holmgren because the way that he can really move, like he, he naturally moves as a guy who's looking to get a shot off ball and with Chet, it's a little bit, it's yeah, a little it's, it's, more awkward. It's more his natural game as well as to, to yeah. be, be the, be the shooter, be the, be the scorer. So yeah, I think that, that, yeah. that not that it's a direct comparison, not that we're saying this guy's got to be like Kevin Durant as soon as he comes out of the draft, but yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a more, more realistic comparison when you look at Jabari Smith rather than, rather than Chet Holmgren. Yeah. And I think for this, for Jabari Smith, I have, we talk about the question of effort with Ben Carroll. We talk big question of Chet, if his body's going to get there, but with Jabari, you know, you can ask the, does he have the it factor type thing, but his game isn't predicated on, on really taking the basketball out of the flow of the offense. He's not going to dominate the ball and he's not going to do that. And it's a big excuse, but to see it, to see it observed across the board, that poor guard play kind of led to that. You know, there there are times where he's not really taking a lot of shots. He's not really controlling the game. That's not what he does. And I think, man, that's, that just makes it even more perfect that he would go to a place like Detroit if he does, because he's going to, he's going to compliment Cade perfectly. You know, Cade's going to be able to dominate the ball. Cade's going to be able to, you know, lead everything. And look how that's going right now. I mean, Cade's really starting to come on at the end of the year. But I, I think that's one of the most exciting pairings of the draft is the thought of Cade and Jabari Smith. Exciting for the NBA, not exciting for other teams in the East because that could be a pairing that for years to come is going to be scary to watch. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think if if OKC were to were to jump up above mm-hmm. Detroit as well, that'd be another good fit. Giddy, yeah, Giddy and Shea Gilgeous Alexander playing yes. with Jabari Smith. That'd be that'd be a real awesome combination too. Yes, I, yeah, who <laughs> that that is tough. Which one would be a better landing spot? I think Detroit's really set themselves up nicely over these past few years rebuilding. OKC still has a lot of things to figure out. They've missed on a few picks there. And so waiting for some of those guys to develop. Still have about 200, but... so it's okay. <laughs> exactly, right? But, I mean, Giddy and Shea as well. I, I think if we're comparing, we're, we're going to sidetrack for a sec here. If we're comparing Giddy or, or uh, Giddy and Shea or Cade and Killian, who are you taking? Probably got to go Giddy, Giddy and Shea at the moment. Right. Yeah. Right. I think uh, Hayes is still is still a bit more of a raw talent, even though this uh, because we uh, injury basically we haven't got to see enough of him. 
I think Kay could end up being the biggest star out of, out of all of them. But I think as a, as a backcourt do, I think you you, you have to, you have more more faith in, in Giddy Giddy and Shea at this at this very moment than than Kay and uh, Killian. I don't know. I, I'd still I feel like I'd still pick I'd still pick Cade and Killian just because I'm Cade. Yeah, that's fair. I'd pick between the two. But all right, moving on. Um I'll get I'll get my fourth. This is this is my last of tier one. Mm-hmm. This is for me, this is the last of tier one. And it's it's a, a tepid one at best because Jaden Ivy mm-hmm. is a little bit polarizing, I think, because he feels like that sexy first round pick that sexy top five lottery easy answer pick look at his highlight reel type guy and maybe he doesn't pan out and the John Morant comparison when you see it on paper you're like that's you know that's ridiculous what do you this guy is a superstar in the NBA but I think the downhill style the way that Jaden Ivey attacks the basket that's what makes him a true lottery guy i i believe that you know that's a translatable ability the way that he just relentlessly attacks the basket i think he's a bona fide top four guy because of his physical he's just a terror at the rim and you don't you don't see talent like that all too often physical talent raw physical talent that does he kind of top out for you like in this top four yeah yeah i think so obviously it's like it's almost you know, I was kind of guy where you want you're almost looking to find issues and looking to find reasons to maybe knock him down a few a few more spots. But in general, he's a 20 year old uh, guard, six four out of Purdue. He's his speed in the open court. It, it's it's unbelievable. He's he's got serious playmaking potential and and a decent variety in his scoring too. And that's what you really got to focus on. He's still a bit of a raw talent. He's still going to need time to develop. I think the most interesting thing here, though, is if he's at the four spot at the moment, it's looking most likely that that's going to be Detroit or OKC. Do they really need another guard? That's that's kind of where it, it becomes interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Could he end up dropping a bit lower just because of the team that has that pick? That that That's where... That's kind of the big question that I that I'd have on him at the moment. That see that that's a that's an interesting turning point too because we had that similar thing last year when the fourth pick that we thought was going to go um, Jalen Suggs ended up going Toronto takes Scotty Barnes. Great call. So at the fourth here, I mean that's true. I mean if things if things go like like you know Magic Rockets Pistons. I think I think you argue. I mean, do any of those teams, if it goes Magic Rockets, Pistons, in any such order, do any of them not pick Chet, Jabari, and Paolo? I don't think so. No, I I don't think so either. I don't think those guys all have clear holes at their forward spot. And if it's OKC at four, do they pass on? I like who. Who would they take here? So does that does that mean Jaden Ivey? And this is the question, bro. Like, I, I don't know if Jaden Ivey is necessarily like in that same level because I think those top three guys feel like no brainers. Yeah, yeah, I think like they, they have they have to go there. Yeah, and then, so does, then does, it gets question marks. Yeah, yeah, like who like who else is interchangeable there? If OKC has that pick, because they're they're really a blank slate. I mean, they have two playmakers, two positionless playmakers. 
and Shea and Giddy. So, I mean, they could take, I mean, they could take Jaden Ivey. I mean, I, I have, I honestly have him there as a preferred guy for OKC because for, for me, this just comes down to stylistically, like Josh Giddy, he knows how to like play with Peyton's him, same with him and Shea. They really know how to control the pace of basketball. And that's mm-hmm. such a crazy innate talent. Like they're not the most explosive athletes. They're not going to run up and down the court like crazy, but they're going to control the pace and they're going to make the right plays. And they're incredibly, incredibly basketball intelligent for their age, but they don't really have guys who just like, just freaking go. And when you see um, Wiggins do it there, um, you know, he, it, it looks exciting. It looks special. Cause like, they don't have a lot of guys who are doing that. But when you have a guy like Ivy, I think you, when you mix and match guys like that, that, that could be a really fascinating recipe for a, a, like a yin and yang, like a, like all the way downhill, full throttle guy like Jaden Ivy, and then a control the pace type of playmakers like Giddy and Shea. So it, it, in just terms, terms of stylistically, like you'd like to see OKC have like a very wild energy about them sometimes because they're such a young team, but they don't always play that fast. They, they don't play fast all the time. And they've done multi-ball handler systems before. So it, it's not impossible that they work together. But, but I see your point. I, I, who else, like, who would you have OKC take there if not Ivy? Yeah, that's that's the difficult one. I, I'd maybe probably look at, at Keegan Murray maybe jumping mm. up just because they need some front court talent more so than they do a backcourt guy. But I, I do like st- staying with Ivy. I, I, I do like that fit, and I do like that idea that they have multiple options of ways that they can play. They could bring in – they could have Giddy and Shea playing and be – controlling the game at their own pace and then they could change it to ivy and he could be that explosive force even off the bench uh, to start with but what do you think are probably the the biggest drawbacks on ivy uh, heading into this draft i i think you know the easy easy answer for a lot of people for the question of shooting is oh look look at his uh look at his percentages and they're not bad He's not a bad three-point shooter. And you could even argue maybe he's a good three-point shooter. Um, and he does take difficult three-point attempts. So I, I'll give him that too. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is just his mechanics of his shot. It's a little flat. It is a little flat. And it takes him a minute to gather. Even though he gets so much separation because of his quickness, his athleticism, he does have a very good step back when you look at his footwork. But the way that he finishes a shot is a little bit flat. And I feel like that's going to be tougher for him to get that off in the NBA. That's something you can say for a lot of different players, but, and I think a major thing too is his athleticism. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm confident that it's going to translate in the open court, but in the half court, I mean, you, you, you see in some games um, where he's gotten shut down and the way that they do it is they really can, they don't let him, get to his dominant hand. They don't let him get downhill. They'll dare him to shoot. And if he's not utilizing his athleticism, like what, what is his ceiling in the NBA? I don't want to, I don't want to go for, <laughs> this is a little disrespectful. I'm not going to make this full comparison, but for example, Dennis Smith Jr. Dennis Smith Jr. was a, like it same way. And he's downhill athlete, really gets separation on the shot. Not very efficient, but, you know, then you kind of give him the excuse of, okay, take some difficult shots. So, you know, that'll improve the NBA. But if, 
if he doesn't really figure out his in-between game that he doesn't really have right now, and he doesn't figure out the pace, how to like slow down, deceleration is one of the most underrated things that you have to look at when you look at uh, how people score. Because hmm. Luka Doncic, I mean, you, you could you could look at his tape in the in EuroLeague, and if you're kind of looking at it from a traditional, like you're looking for highlights type of thing, you're going to see a lot of highlights. Like Luka isn't like throwing down dunks. He's not running right at the rim and like throwing it down your throat. Like he's taking Euros. He's slowing down. He's speeding out in the way that he controls the pace and keeps people on a string. You see that in the NBA. It's much more impressive. But a guy like Jaden Ivey, is he going to be able to – really upgrade his handles and kind of get that feel to score like that because he can't always just be a downhill athlete so I think that's the his shot mechanics and the way that he controls the ball on the in the half court those would be interesting to watch because that that may come with maturity that may come with with training but you know that's what scares me about him is you know he's that sexy pick he makes really awesome highlight plays and he's had some crazy games um but does he turn? Does he translate that, and does he add to his game? Yeah, that that that's where the maturity thing comes into. I think those 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 are good points. I think I also kind of had like the, sometimes his decision making and his focus off the ball. He doesn't really seem to be that mm-hmm. engaged when he's not the guy making the play or or, or or things like that. And that could that could come up on both ends of the floor, which which would yeah. be a big downside. And you hope that that will that'll come. He's still twenty years old, so you hope that 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 will come. But he's definitely. He's the sexy one, but also the one that could end up being the 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 the, the trap uh, in in the in the tier one there. Yeah, and Keegan Murray, I, that, that's who he's the next guy on my list here. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because if if OKC is there, that's they have decisions to make here, man. Because they've loaded up on picks, and they they haven't gotten lucky yet to get the the number one pick. They haven't gotten a a top top pick, but if they are at four, would they elect to get something that's a little bit more stable? And I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't see star potential for Keegan Murray nope. and it's ageism. I, I feel like it's ageism, you know, cause he is 20, he's going to be 22 and, you know, he is a late bloomer. So maybe there's a, un, there's untapped potential there. I, I think it's, it's fascinating that Iowa was his only, his only offer. Mm. So, I mean, coming out of high school, he wasn't a, he wasn't a guy on the radar at all, but now he's, he's, I mean, arguably like you, you look back on this season, he's going to be looked at as one of the best basketball players in the NCAA. You're know, not one of the best prospects. He's one of the best basketball players. 26, like his per, per 36 minutes are crazy. I mean, he's 26.5 points, nearly 10 rebounds, you know, two assists, 2.2 blocks, 1.5 steals. Like that's some of the best per 36 stats in this entire draft. And he does it all. I mean, he's just, he's just like a Swiss army knife. Like defensively, he can switch. He's very active off ball and on ball. And he doesn't mind playing on the wing, playing inside. The, I mean, he's, he's everywhere. So, I mean, for a team like the Thunder that need plug-and-play guys, that they just need talent that works. I mean, Poku is like such a big question mark. You're, you're still waiting for a lot of their guys to develop. I think he's a guy who's going to go into the NBA and be a little bit more productive right from the jump but do you draft guys this high up if you're not sure if they're going to have that that big ceiling that that high ceiling that could lead to a star 
I think for if, if it is OKC, I think he's a guy that that's worth it. I think, especially if it's at the five, I think it's a it's a pretty easy decision for them because he brings great inside scoring. He's got the ability to stretch. He's got speed. He's got athleticism. And he is an upgrade on what they have in the front court at the moment. I know they're not going to be a team ready to go make a probably even a playing run uh, almost next season, but he's a guy that can come in and be impactful from the off. Twenty going to be twenty two years old. He's going to be there. He's got to be ready to go, and I think he brings something that that they don't currently have. So I think he's definitely worth taking it in in that slot, even if it. Uh, ends up being the four, I think I still think they still they might take the shot on them. Yeah. I think a team that um well I'll I'll, I'll let you answer this first. If if you think he's worth it there, then who who is he worth it for at best? Yeah, I think the Pacers would like him. I think they're they're probably looking to add a bit a bit of size, a bit of scoring. No. Yeah, I, so. I, I hate I hate that I've seen a lot of mock drafts put him there. I hate that pick. I hate that pick for the Pacers because Dude, the, the pay, teams like the Pacers, they need to swing. They need to swing big. And I, I think Albert continues to get better. I think as a team, they're much better than their record. And you're not going to have talent on that team and, and continue tanking. It's it's arguable they won't have better odds than this year for a while. Mm-hmm. And if if they continue to have these odds, I think something went wrong. Because, I mean, Miles, Miles Turner's there. Halliburton's there. Brogdon is there. And I think they still have other young guys who are going to continue to get better. They have a lot of role players there that can do well. And they're not going to be like this bottom five team again. Mm-hmm. And if they are, again, something went wrong. So Keegan Murray, I feel like the polar polar opposite of him in this draft is Shaden Sharp. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at a guy like, like Shaden Sharp, and he's so many question marks, but like the physical talent – and the skills that he showed in high school. So for, for anyone listening who doesn't know who Shaden Sharp is, he was supposed to play at Kentucky, but he deferred and he's going into the draft. And he decided to work on his basketball skills. Um, wasn't like any issues or anything like that, but it was kind of an interesting decision. Um, and the fact that he's still like a lot of big boards will have him as a top five player just goes to show if you look at his high school tape, this guy's He's an elite athlete. Like this guy has NBA athleticism right out of high school. And you see the shooting stroke, you see the playmaking, you see the effort on defense too. You see literally everything. So the question obviously is like, you didn't see it in college, but I think for a blue chip talent, you, I feel like for a team like the Pacers, you got to take a risk and take a guy Mm -hmm. like him. Yeah, he's he's the he's kind of the the, the mystery the mystery card here. Uh, obviously, great great size for a guy playing the backcourt, six six, only eighteen. Scoring and athleticism is just right up there, and he could really be, he could really be a star in this NBA if he continues to develop. From what we saw from what when he played in high school, it could, he could really be something special, and he could prove. He could prove a steal, even though he's likely probably to go uh, somewhere between five and seven. I think this is a guy that can really prove to be a, a serious steal in this draft, or he could be, prove to be the guy that we needed to see in college before before the draft. It, it, it could go either way on him, but there's definitely a lot of upside on this guy. 
I mean, he reminds me of like a Jalen Green kind yeah, of talent. I can see that, yeah. You know, with the with the shooting ability, but also just the just the reckless abandon getting to the rim. The way he just gets up, such a quick jump. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not. I think a lot of that's that's also another uh, interesting thing. At least I've learned as as you're trying to look at at some of these players is, you know, how they're physically what 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 they do and the quickness of his jump quickness of players jump that's something special like that's a special ability the way John Morant just quickly gets off the ground and that that's something that Shaden Sharp has and you can't teach that you you can't teach stuff like that and if he had been in college maybe he gets exposed maybe something gets exposed there but I, I think that it's a bargain deal that you're getting him at like four five six because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of like guards. But do, Port- like, do really- Portland take him if they're if they're say he's still there in the five or six slot and Portland ends up there? Should should Portland try and take him? Portland Portland and Indiana should both. I feel like if if they're if they have their draft board there, and they know and they're not picking one two or three, I I think they take they should be taking him. I think both those teams are teams that are not going to be in this position again. Mm. And if they are, both those teams have failed. Yeah. You got to swing high. And I, I think he's the biggest, I, I don't like to say boom or bust, but he is, he is the biggest wild card. He's a lottery ticket for sure. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Who, who, who do you got next? Who, who's next and who's next on your tiers? I, I'm not sure about AJ Griffin. I, I don't know if he's in tier two or tier three. I, I don't know. I don't know where you got. I, I I'd have him tier two. I think he's he's a real interesting one. I think his age helps him that little bit as well. Obviously, another guy out of Duke. He's only 18, 6'6", wing. He could very well end up being the best wing in in this draft class. I think the guy can shoot the three. He's got pull ups. He's got step backs. He can create his own shot. He's got a good build. And good length. There is a lot of downside, I think, especially on the defensive end. He can be a bit slow. He can lack focus. But I think the potential is still there, and he's still such a raw talent that there's so much that this guy can develop and become. And I think this year, people were saying there's still kind of signs that he's possibly still recovering from that bad injury he had uh, but before. So I think... Two ACLs running. Yeah. Yeah, just just a bad injury, you know. <laughs> two ACLs, dude. That that's that that's the thing for me. Two ACLs, two ACLs, and I think you see it. Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the the biggest things for me with him, because let's just give him credit for what he's got at right now. Like he's a truly, truly elite three point shooter. Forty six percent on threes, fifty percent on two point uh, jump shots, but it was a little bit on, on a little bit low volume. But his free throw attempt rate was like negligible. Like he was, he doesn't get to the line and he doesn't get into the paint. He doesn't for his size. I mean, he's a, he's a big dude. I mean, he's, he's basically a Jimmy Butler build. Mm. He's not getting on the boards. And I mean, defense, you know, you, you see that, you see the potential. Um, but I, I don't think he has that same physicality to him. And maybe that is because of the injuries. You know, you, you see players 
you know, kind of have to work through that, that fear of re-injuring themselves. I don't want to, I don't want to, if I'm a GM, make a similar mistake that teams made with Cam Reddish. Because I think all the signs were there that Cam Reddish might not have that next level. And, you know, he hasn't proven it yet. I don't think AJ comes into the league and comes out as like a on ball star type of player. He doesn't, he doesn't, if you draft him because you love his off ball shooting, his spot up shooting. Cool. Okay, great. But for a wing that can't rebound and can't like score at the rim, that's concerning to me, a six, six forward who can't get to the rim. And that, that feels like a really big red flag beyond what you're doing on the court. And potentially what your body's going to be like five, six years from now when your rookie contract's over. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's I fair. Can't I, get think, over that. I, think, I think that's something that, that he can still develop. And hopefully uh, the reason we saw some kind of hesitancy and maybe that, that inability to get to, to the rim more is still kind of just uh, the mental battle he's probably facing with himself. I think he's still worth the risk at his age. I don't think he's a guy you should be expecting to to be your main player. You shouldn't be a guy you should be drafting to to build your team around or anything. But if you want a guy to come in and potentially fill a role, fill a role as uh, as a shooter right from the off, I think he's definitely a, a, a late. A late lottery pick. I think he. I think he'll likely go in the top ten. Not sure where the best fit for him would be. You could maybe argue Portland if if uh, if they fall that that low. But I think he's definitely a guy that there's there is still real potential there. And and on showing some of the shortcomings, I think he can still develop them and, and grow in, into a real talented player. And I think if, if he goes late. If he falls outside the top 10, he'll be a serious steal. Uh, exactly. And that, that's how I see it too. I see, I feel like there's too many red flags for me to, mm-hmm. if, if in, and I think what we've done here is we, we've wanted to think about this as a GM. You want to think about if I don't pick this guy, am I going to get fired? But if I pick this guy, do I get fired? And, I, and that, that's a real, that's a real anxiety of, of people who have to make these real life decisions. And <laughs> I think that that's the thing for me. If he goes outside the top 10, obviously no brainer. And I think falling deeper in the draft, deep, deeper in the lottery, like, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, I, I don't mind that, but going high is like, you know, some, some mock drafts will have him as high as like five or six, seven. I, I don't, I don't see it there for those reasons. And, you know, I, I praise him for the three point shooting because you got to give him credit for what he did do, but similar to, Ivy, I have, I do have questions about his, his shot mechanics because mm-hmm. he does, he does have a little bit of a slow release and it is like a bit stiff. He doesn't have a lot of fluidity to him. And is he going to be able to get that shot off quick enough in the NBA? And he's, are those mechanics going to be able to translate ultimately? That's, that's a big question. You know, he doesn't, and that's, it's inside scoring. Again, I'm, I'm just going to harp yeah. on it. I'm harp on it. And I think there's too many talented guys in the lottery that I'd, I'd rather take a shot at. Um, how about uh, Mathurin? 
Very interesting one. I think he will go. He'll go. He'll. Do, I think he'll go. Go top ten. He's. He's. He's going to be very interesting. He's got that three level scoring. He's got great body control, but he's also got that ability to just explode. It's not something yeah. you see often, but when he needs it or when it's when when he's given the opportunity to do it, he can absolutely go go big. And it's he's he's going to be a real real interesting one. Uh, wherever he goes in the draft. He's going to be one I think I'll definitely be keeping my eye on. He's not He's not going to be one that's probably talked about as much as some others, but he really has a serious amount of talent. I, I think I think he could he could surprise because I think most most drafts when you compare and I brought him up because I, I think they're very comparable. But I think McThurn is 6'7", 195 pounds. Um, re- recent recent uh, physicals will show he's, he's now two, 210. And AJ Griffin is 6'6, 222. And they both play in the wing. They're both known for as being three-point shooters. AJ Griffin's definitely definitely more efficient mm. at this point. But I mean, Mathurin does things that you'd want to see AJ Griffin do. Yeah. You'd want to see him be more of a creative finisher. You'd want to see him attack the rim more. You'd want to see him um, play make a little bit more. These are all things that that AJ Griffin can do in theory, but this, I mean, the way this guy did it, I mean, he's electric. I, I, him and Ivy feel like two of the most electric finishers in the top 10. Um, obviously not sharp because we didn't get to see him. Um, but in pure like physicality, I think I I like him more than AJ Griffin. Yeah. So when you're talking about some of these, uh, when you're when you're a team and you're in this five through 10 range and you're looking for a shooting wing and you have to pick between the two do you take do you take the known quantity of aj griffin's you know the defensive consistency a little bit more than mathurin marginally or do do you take the potential of mathurin's athleticism and his willingness to engage contact get to the rim and just do more on ball i think i gotta take mathurin and does do decisions like that, those the splitting hairs between the two, does does a guy like Griffin start to fall? Is he that's, is he one of those guys that's gonna yeah. fall fast? He he could. I don't think there's many you could compare it to. I think a third is definitely one that you could definitely match them up and you can see that he has that that little bit more at this stage that you want. And I think it'd be a great fit because I think at the moment he's looking likely to go possibly at the 10. Maybe he could still go higher, but at the 10 at the moment, that's Washington. And they could do with some front court scoring. So he 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 could be a real, real uh, good fit out there in Washington. Still got plenty of time to develop. Only obviously he's still only uh only 19. You know, there are the negatives. He, he can be a little bit inconsistent on the defensive end. He can be a bit of a streaky scorer. But when he's just filling the role especially early in his NBA career, I think he might be able to bring that a little bit more, especially if we're comparing him to Griffin right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it'll be, I think guys like Griffin, guys like Murray, uh, you can see them start to fall. You see them start to, to free fall a little bit because I think Sharp could jump, Rathurin could jump. Um, who else do we have in this uh, top 10? I think we're at nine, nine and 10. And I don't think there's it, this is where it gets tough because we we've been kind of oscillating between these different players here in the like four through ten range, and I think it just goes to show, like top three, 
that feels that feels very comfortable. It feels like those are going to be those three guys no matter what. And four is probably Ivy, but then you don't know. It, it's a big question mark. Um, I got, I, just, you, I got, I got, I've got Jalen Duran and Johnny Davis filling out the top ten. Okay. What's for for you like Jalen Duran's interesting. What's like his? What's the biggest draw for you for him? I think he still he fills a role that's still important in this league it, for certain teams. He's a very traditional big. He's got he got a seven nice seven five wingspan. He's about six ten. He's still only eighteen. Great great at all uh, getting boards on both ends of the court. Blocks steals. He does a little bit of everything on the defensive end. And he's a real he's a real defensive anchor. I think he could develop into being a serious defensive anchor in this NBA. The offense, there's a lot of question marks there. You'd worry a little bit about his production there, the turnovers and his inability to space the floor, especially the way the NBA is at the moment. But if there's a team that has enough shooting already within their team and they're looking for a traditional big, I think Duran's Duran's a great fit. I I agree with all those things. I mean, he could be there's a lot of good defenders in this draft. There's a lot of good defenders. And Jalen Duran could be the best interior defender from this draft outside of Chet Holmgren. But I mean, he's got the physicals. Absolutely. You mentioned his wingspan, his height, and he feels like a DeAndre Jordan, Robert Williams type of guy. And I'm going to say, when I say DeAndre Jordan, think about prime DeAndre Jordan on the Clippers, Mm. what Robert Williams is doing right now in the Celtics. And those two guys are awesome. I mean, they really change the face of your defense. They really force offense out of the paint. And that's tough for a lot of teams that live off of that. So it's huge, huge to have guys like that. You know, Wizards, they could really do with a guy who can control the paint consistently. And a lot of teams in this lottery, obviously they're there for a reason, but a lot of teams could really value that. And I think my question though is, is he a top 10 talent? Is a DeAndre Jordan, Robert Williams player, is that a top 10 talent? Mm. Yeah, that, 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 that's the worry. Yeah, yeah. He do, he doesn't shoot the ball. Hmm. What is what is he going to do offensively outside of that? And does he have enough? Because I I think I'll say DeAndre Jordan more than Robert Williams because I think Robert Williams has done, and th- this doesn't get noticed enough, but his passing is is perfect. It's immediate. I mean, Robert Williams as soon as he gets the ball, either he's doing something with it, he's passing it to the right guy. And he does it in the role as well. Does Duran do Duran doesn't show that consistently? Is is that gonna be something he can do to translate that? So maybe he's just a I mean again, do you draft a DeAndre Jordan 10th, 9th? Do you pass that's up that's where the other challenges? Right? Yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta the the scoring is a worry. The shooting is a worry. You always feel like guys going in the top 10, they've got to have that a little bit more of an X factor. As much as this guy could prove to be a serious defensive X factor, I think you got to be able to do that a little bit more two way to really be, to really even just get excited about a guy going in the top 10, you know? I'll, I'll put it this way. If you're the Kings, you don't draft him. No, no, no way. If you're the Pelicans, you don't draft him. No. If you're the Spurs, I don't think you draft him. I think what what I you know is Pertle a long term answer? No, 
but I mean, hell, he's he's like one of the he's one of the best shot blockers in the NBA right now. Yeah. Do you need that? Are you looking more for wing presence? May, a maybe. Wizards, I, I think they do. Is it a mistake if the Blazers do it? I don't think Blazers fans are happy with uh with a hey, you might have drafted the next DeAndre Jordan. I, it, are they happy with that? <laughs> really? Uh, pro- pro- probably not, but I don't think it'd be crazy if it uh, it ended up it ended up going that way. What what about Johnny Davis? What do, what do we think about him? Dude, he's it, this is funny because you watch his tape, and it's so easy to fall in love with this game. Because number one on the defensive side, he brings it. He really brings it. He's he's six five and he's he's a little wiry. He's just barely two hundred pounds, but he really really gets into it defensively. So he competes on that end of the floor, and on the other end, I mean, he takes really difficult shots. And he's one of the best mid range finishers in the league, in NCAA. And when you just watch it, when you just watch his tape, like it looks, it all looks amazing. It all looks like a guy who is a really difficult shot maker and the way he takes crazy angles at the rim and he's going to do it in tough moments. He's, he's their clutch scorer for Wisconsin, but then you look at his efficiency and it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough to look at his efficiency and believe that it's going to translate. I mean, per we're going to go off per 36. I mean, that's, that's a traditional way of looking at these talents and he's shooting 30.6% from three. 42.7% from the field. And for a guy who's handling the ball a lot, which is good. You want, you want guys who can really take care of it. His assist turnover ratio is awful. I mean, 2.2 2. 2 assists to 2.4 turnovers. That's bad. He's not, it's clear. He's not a good decision maker when he has a ball in his hands too much and 79% free throw rate. You can argue 79% from free throws. It's not a bad number. It's, it's fairly good. So maybe his his shot creation translates over as he gets better as a shooter, but that's going to be tough for guys like him who, you know, they they seek out these tough turnaround jumpers living in the post against shorter defenders. You're not going to find a whole lot of guys you're bigger than when you're 6'5", 200 pounds soaking wet. He's not going to be able to take advantage of matchups like that in the post and he's not going to be faster than a lot of guys because he's not an elite athlete. That's another big knock on him. But it's like, <laughs> again, when you watch his tape, like if if I say all this and you look at these numbers and you look at his tape, like you'll forget everything I just said because like the, the type of shots he takes, is it's ballsy. He's a ballsy player. So sometimes guys like that pan out. They, they figure it out. They, they figure out ways to continue being that good in the NBA. But a lot of times it's going to be, it is going to be a massive adjustment for him in terms of athleticism and, you know, not being able to handle the ball that much. He, he could be a great, a great fit in, in San Antonio. I think, I think just watch his 25 and eight game over Colgate uh, during, during the, during March Madness. That was, that was real impressive. I think the percentages, I didn't look at them too much because uh, all the talk that I've seen things I've heard, it's that Wisconsin were a pretty bad team and they just, he was literally like their only hope for, for large periods of the season, I think they kind of just said, "You just go out and do it," and he didn't really have much of a choice. So if he can improve his off-ball play, those are kind of the two of the big hang-ups on him: his lack of athleticism and his off-ball play. I think if he ended up with the Spurs and he could do 
be a guy that can average 15 to 18 points playing alongside a guy like DeJounte Murray, that, that could be a great fit for him. You mentioned the Spurs a couple of times. The Spurs are interesting for me in these conversations because there's mildest defeat now. Devin Vassell is coming into his own. Keldon Johnson's coming into his own. You still got to figure out what Josh Primo is. DeJounte Murray is leveling up offensively. All four of those guys need to get a shot. And that's the exact reason why a guy like Johnny Davis could get drafted and disappear. Yeah. Cause you, you draft him on a team like the Spurs. He's not going to get like, even if you run him off the bench, I mean, he's going to compete with Josh Richardson and Lonnie Walker. And he, he's going to get five shots a game. They better be good shots. They better be efficient and he better pass the ball. Well, and especially on a team like pops, like, so I I'm curious, like when you, when you look at this, at this uh, draft makeup, when you're looking at like, eight through 12 like what's what's a team that's gonna be like okay you can have the ball and you know figure something out with it and grow through that what's a team that's gonna let him play through those growing pains and he might fall for that reason Mm -hmm. pop is not gonna let him do that and it maybe maybe for the wizards but i mean they're trying to do something they're trying to his defense is going to keep him on the floor. Probably that, only if only if Beal goes really will he have the real any sort of opportunity to uh to really kind of work his way through through the growing pains. I think though, yeah, if he ended up in Washington, maybe maybe uh if he falls to Portland in their second pick, yeah, that's a, that's a potential place. I mean they they need someone who's going to replace CJ McCollum. I mean Anthony Simons is there. Again, you got to think about that too. But he he's a guy that if if a coach and a GM, if they really value his defense and they say, okay, we can give this guy minutes because he's going to compete defensively, that, that's going to be something that, that sticks with him. And that's something that he's got to get credit for and be considered for because the efficiency concerns me a lot. And the assist turnover ratio concerns me a lot. The athleticism is a potential concern as well, but he, he is crafty. And I, I will say for anyone who's knocking Johnny Davis for his athleticism, I mean, look, look at how he scores basketball. I mean, the angles he takes at the rim, the way he uses the glass, high finishes off the glass, the way he uses his, his height to gain that advantage on turnaround jumpers. Like he, he knows how to figure that stuff out. So I'm not concerned for that on the offensive end. I just wonder how that translates defensively maybe. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Do you have do you have any anyone else that that's gonna fill out the top ten for you? That that was that was it for me. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting in the one ten through twenty. I do have a guy though. I need to to point out that I I think is a glaring, 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 glaring potential shocker. Like if he if he jumps up in the draft, hit me. So Walker Kessler declared for the draft Mm -hmm. this guy out of auburn i mean he he's a reason that jabari smith didn't need to defend the rim because he led he led the the ncaa in blocks for 36 minutes he was uh swatting 6.4 shots a game (laughs) like you just have to laugh at that for for reference chet holmgren who is like a world leader blocking five 4.9 to be exact um, his numbers don't jump off the page. He's not scoring a lot. 16 points a game, 11.3 rebounds, 1.5 steals. 
but it's the blocks, man. He posted the highest block percentage in the past 15 years, 18.8%. If you don't know out there what block percentage is, that's the amount of shots that are blocked while someone is on the floor. That is 20% of every attempted shot when he is on the floor is blocked by him. <laughs> like that's some teams probably don't post that, that, uh, that block percentage. So, I mean, for a guy who's seven foot one, 245, seven, five wingspan, you know, that that's, that's a guy who could jump up. If, if you are considering, and this is what is interesting for me. When you look at the centers in this draft, you got Chet Holmgren, who's, is he a center? Is he a forward? Who knows? Jalen Duran, Mark Williams, Walker Kessler, and Christian Coloco. And where does he rank there? Right now, a lot of plays are ranking him fourth, and that kind of puts him around like the 17, 18, 19 range. But if anyone's looking for, you know, a true elite rim protector immediately, I mean, there you go. There's your guy. So I, I think he could he could definitely be a sneaky pick. And I got to say this too. He's making 70% of his two-pointers. SEC leading 79 dunks. I mean, he's, he's, he'll convert lobs. He'll cat, he's just got great hands. He's going to finish softly around the basket too. And he makes good passes out of short roll. Like when you look at his report, jo- Jonathan Gavoni did a really good uh, um, draft express article on him. It, it feels like a, why isn't this guy like a top 10 prospect kind of profile? And here's the, here's the kicker too. Cause when you look at, when you talk about those other guys, when you talk about um, Mark Williams, when you talk about Jalen Duran, these guys aren't going to shoot threes. You're probably never going to shoot threes. Like, just be honest, they're not going mm-hmm. to. This guy shot 35% from three on 269 attempts in high school. He didn't have to do it in Auburn, but he clearly had a stroke that wasn't used. So he's a sophomore. He's going to be uh, 20, almost 21 by the time he's. Um, suiting up for any team that drafts him but look 10 through 20 who's a team that's going to need that i mean rockets need that maybe rockets don't get chad holmgren they, they have another pick they can load up the hornets they need that okay okay he needs everything the whole the 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 hawks need that and they're, they're at 16 probably will stay there so he could go as high as 16 but i love seeing this right now because the Bulls don't have a, a very good chance at a high pick, obviously. But at 19, man, if the Bulls can snag Walker Kessler. That saves that solves so many issues that they have right now with interior defense. And if I'm feeling that way, a lot of teams will. Yeah, yeah, I think I think another bit that I, I was looking at Mark Williams as as another guy, especially for the Knicks, because I think it's not out of the question that Robinson could leave uh, in mm. free agency. And I think Mark Williams could instantly come in and be a guy who's does everything that Willie uh, that Robinson does now, and could even do it at, at, at an even better level. I mean, he's got serious size, uh, pushing seven one. He's got a seven a seven eight wingspan, steady offense, good good finisher at the rim. He's a great roller, and then on the defensive end, he's got the rim protection. He's got mobility, timing, and reach. The inability to stretch the floor and passing, it, it's something... One three-point attempt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the passing is something you look at, but especially if they aren't sure about bringing Robinson back, 
Williams could instantly come in and completely make make that feel like it, it, it's not not a big loss, which would be which would be big and and would be a real smart decision for the Knicks. But you know they don't do those, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> who who knows what what we'll try and do? We'll probably end up trading our pick for some guy who can't shoot or can't defend or can't you, already, you already have enough young guys. You're just gonna piss off Tibbs if you get a if you get another one in there. Um, I love. I actually have a quote on him that I laughed out loud at because Kevin O'Connor is just one like the nicest uh, guys ever. Even when he's like doing negative scouting on guys, he'll say something positive. In his his article, I read, "Is there un- quote is there untapped shooting potential here?" He shot five of nine on jump shots this season. <laughs> and it's like, dude, nine jump shots like this. I mean, I get on a Duke team like yeah, that's if that's not your job, you don't do it. You guys, you got guys there who will take a shot, but. Um, Second leading score on Duke, right? After after Bancaro, not taking jumpers. <laughs> Who anyone else you got? I think uh, one guy I would mention is uh, is uh, Abaji Oche, the guy who he, he led led Kansas to uh, all the way to uh, Hibachi. To, yeah, his name. It, I I kept hearing Hibachi, and that's his name from now on. <laughs> I, I I hope the Knicks take him just so. <laughs> he went, he went a bunch of air way. balls of three. <laughs> he went Tim takes him out after yeah, one minute only, of play. The only guy, the only guy <laughs> likely, I think he's the only one likely to probably go in the top twenty, off that off that Kansas team. And you look at his, he's got a scoring ability, he's got ability in transition, he can shoot the three, he's got solid perimeter defense. You may look at the age and possibly elite level of scoring in the NBA, but he could definitely prove a steal if uh, if he drops anywhere below probably anywhere below lottery and you're looking at a serious steal here. And lottery is obviously yeah, one to 14. But I love the totality of his production for sure. And I think his splits though tell a different story. And that's my only concern. When you, when you look at the first half of the year, you made 45.6% of his threes, which is an insane number. His first 22 games of the season. And he made 31% over his past eight leading to the conference tournament. And in the half court, he's only shooting 27.1% on pull-up threes, 29.4% on pull-up twos. And I, I think you saw that exposed a little bit when the – the shots mattered and the pressure was on and he had to develop that perform that way in the half court and it just didn't show up Hmm. and guys like that though you know where do you where do you draw the line because it's tough you you have a lot of streaky shooters in the nba right and they they just got to work through that but to to knock him for that maybe isn't fair but it's it's argued that you know over the course of his college career he's always been streaky and he hasn't, he's a senior now. Is, is, is that going to work out for him? Um, I, I think we'll, there, there's always going to be surprises. We definitely didn't catch them. Um, I think we did a pretty good job here, though, rounding out the, the top 10 and decisions like that. I, I'm really curious, though, um, as we're ending here, teams like, teams like the, uh, the Blazers, how, how are they, this is a really important draft for them, very important draft. This is the first time they're going to be in the lottery. I think since they, I want to say since they took uh, 
since they took Dame? When's the last time they're in the lottery? Definitely no one of note after Dame that you I could uh, I could pick out, but you also can't rule out the fact that they could still trade these picks if Dame is willing to to stick around. They might need to to make make some other deals happen with with guys already in the NBA, which is definitely something you can't rule out with Portland. Yeah, it's, it was in 2013. So they you're, took you're CJ, after Dame, isn't it? CJ McCollum. We forgot that already. Yeah. That's in, that's that's crazy. This is going to be their first their first time. Better. Are they, are they going to be able to get a guy like a guy like CJ McCollum this time? That's the real question. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe that's where you look for your, your Johnny Davis. Um, what do the Kings do here? The, the Kings are an interesting team for me too. Like, what, what's what's their biggest goal? They they they, they traded Halliburton for. They got to uh, got to got to get a long term partner for Fox. I think that's that's got to be their aim, especially if they're they own the top six, top seven. I think there's plenty of guard talent, and I think that's got to be their their main focus here. Yeah, I w- I want to see them take Keegan. I think when I, when I uh, think about it the most, Keegan Murray. I hope he goes to the Kings. He's, he's going to do. I think he do a lot of things for that team. But he's going to be a long term replacement for Harrison Barnes too. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Who's going to screw up this draft the, the the most? Who do you think? Not the Knicks. Uh, I think the Pacers or OKC could could uh, could could shit the bed on this on this draft on this draft, <laughs> on this draft class. I think my favorite time of the year though is like we—it's got to be the Kings though. It has to be the Kings. It's always the Kings, and I'm—I'm I'm so curious how they're going to screw this up. How are they going to screw this up? Oh, they will find a way. I mean, come on. What is it now? What's the what's the they got NBA record this year? How long is it since they've been in the playoffs since KD was in college? <laughs> When's that? 2008? Is it 2007? It's it's now. We'll, we'll just look it up. But they 2007, I think. They just they haven't been able to get a single lottery right, and they and the pressure is on now for them to maybe they're a team that trades their pick. I mean they mm-hmm. they already drafted they already traded Halliburton. Just screw it at this point. Mm. Fifteen years, two thousand seven. There yeah. it is. Fifteen. Wow. Charlotte that Hornets, so five years. So they will be alone. They will be so far and away alone because it goes, the Kings fifteen years, the Hornets five years, <laughs> the Bulls four the Cavs three the Pelicans three the Timberwolves three all of them will make the playoffs this year well uh, Pelicans might not I guess playing depends but the Hornets might not either come on man uh, but do the plane I guess the plane doesn't count the Hornets might oh, we already talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, we don't again but yeah it's crazy to think that they are 15 years that 10 years longer than anyone else currently in the league that's that's just awful so yeah kings make sure you get it right this time yeah on the on the flip side um i, I did have an interesting question though are any of these teams who are drafting high up in the lottery if they get their guy who would that guy be and if, if they get their guy and they get better who would that guy be and who would that team be and they get like significantly better like a big jump yeah, uh, I, I, I could see Houston getting a big, making a big jump if they were to get if they were to get Holmgren and he was able to 
to come in and be impactful from from the off. I think Jalen Green is in position where he could take a big jump next year. Sengun could yeah. develop more mm-hmm. just by himself, also and also playing uh, alongside a guy like Holmgren. So I think I think that could be a difference maker. I also like uh, the thought of Bancaro in Orlando. I think that could that could be that could be a potential jump as well. Yeah, I think I think Bancaro might be a guy that takes a year, a couple years. With with uh, because I don't think he's gonna lean specifically in on on any one talent, but I think because of that, like he could get better than all these guys. But the guy I think about and the team I think about is what we mentioned very early on in this episode is Jabari Smith and the Pistons. Mm-hmm. And if he strikes me like he could have a Evan Mobley like effect if he gets drafted to the Pistons, and the Pistons are already rising, they already have a good identity. Yeah. Um, so if we fast forward, we get to lottery and we get to the draft, and Smith is donning a Detroit Pistons uniform. I'm I'm scared for what the future is going to be like in the East for the next five, 10 years. That's going to be a scary combo there. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's uh it's uh, it's worrying as a as as a Knicks fan seeing seeing knowing a team can uh, can add that sort of talent and have that sort of potential, but bro, don't be worried about other teams. Like just worry about like playing your guys first. Like, you don't even know if Tibbs is gonna play anybody you draft. <laughs> I always gotta be worrying about something, you know. <laughs> All right, well, guys, thanks for joining us on another long episode here. I think we did a we did a pretty good job for a rookie rookie attempt. This is our second year actually doing a. A, a rookie profile or is it our third time this is actually our third time doing it yeah we started off with that so yeah. yeah yeah have we gotten any better i have no idea i think we're getting better we're always getting better here at coast <laughs> our first year we said i i thought anthony edwards would be the next andrew wiggins uh and then what would it <laughs> i thought evan mobley would be too timid for the nba so uh, with, with with all that said, I mean AJ Griffin's probably going to be the next like Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how it works out. But uh, definitely very exciting draft class and wide open for the number one slot. That's that's the real interesting thing about this draft class. Yeah, can't wait to see it, guys. Thanks for joining us again. We'll see you next week. Take care. Hope everyone has a fantastic week as we wrap up this season going to know exactly who the matchups are going to be very soon and get right into it on next episode of coast to coast thanks for joining us on today's episode of coast to coast don't forget to hit us up on instagram and twitter at coast to coast nba podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show and remember take every shot and love every moment